G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 19 Preview Edition. And again, I think I said this the other day, lucky to be having a round at all because uh, COVID is wreaking its terrible path around the country. Now we have three states simultaneously in lockdown, New South Wales, Victoria and South Australia. And that has caused all manner of logistical nightmares with uh, some fixtures, the venue not being determined until the 11th hour. As we record this on Wednesday morning, we still don't know uh, exactly the venues and times of two of the three Sunday games and a couple of games scheduled for Adelaide have been shifted to Melbourne, uh, where, of course, they'll be played in front of closed doors with the lockdown still going. So uh, more of that later. But um, dire times in the football world. Hopefully this podcast can give you a little bit of joy. Of course, this podcast always brought to you proudly by Palmer Bet. Play the punting advantage this footy season Always remember to gamble responsibly. Well, time to introduce my co-host uh, in a dramatic few days uh, in our backyard in the football world. And everywhere you look, it's uh, not happy times, Mark Fine. Well, it's not. Of course, we are faced with the Delta strain of COVID and that is far-reaching and, of course, has far greater ramifications than just Australian rules football, but we concern ourselves on this footyology podcast with football. And in that sense, it has been as disruptive as can be imaginable. And we just keep our fingers crossed that there is a football season to be completed, that it will be completed in a manner that is fair as possible to teams. And we can have a final series with some possibility of fans of those teams going to see the football all of those balls are well and truly still up in the air as you pointed out Rowan well I'll tell you one transaction that will always be completed finally and that's the transaction when a hungry customer sauntering around the Albert Park region walks into a certain burger establishment and orders one with a lot or to his own or her own satisfaction and is promptly handed one of the finest examples of takeaway cuisine, not only in Melbourne, not only in Australia or the world, but the entire universe. The Martians would kill for burgers like these. Finally, what am I talking about? 144 Bridport Street is where you're talking about, and you're talking about an Andrews hamburger. It's a rip-up. Look, there are travel restrictions and, of course, Martians being five kilometres and further away, do have to abide those and would have to quarantine for 14 days. But 
you know what, it might be worth the travel, albeit many light years. And of course, first they have to develop a civilization, and that may well take millions of millennium. But you know what, I wouldn't be surprised if they still stood in the queue and waited so good are Andrew's hamburgers. They are universally acclaimed. And the boys down there, a pair of Greggs, and all the team that works there, kudos to them because these are tough times and they keep all of their pre-existing promises true. And they keep the contract up. Fresh produce, happy service, quality every time. Consistency, consistency, consistency. Great burgers. And speaking of consistency, you want that when your house is being renovated or you're building a brand new property. Now, in Victoria, we have kept the building industry going. So it's interesting that our two major sponsors, of course, both heavily affected by COVID-19 restrictions, have been able to work right through. And that has meant that West Point Properties, Nick Bartels and the team continue to provide the smile on faces of new homeowners and renovatees, as I've decided to dub a term, in the inner southeast of Melbourne suburbs. West Point Properties for the build, for the renovation of a lifetime, Rowan. Well, our other major sponsor, of course, Stats Insider, a sports and data-driven industry leader, providing model projections and analysis to more than 15 sports across the world. Stats Insider simulates an event 10,000 times to best understand both the range of possible outcomes and the probability of each result. Along with their famed pre-match and in-game projections, Stats Insider is also known for their full season projections, which now have Geelong as a 26.5% flag favourite and which represent the model's firmest favourite so far this season. Stats Insider is also home to some of Australia's best independent sports writing and analysis. In fact, I wrote a column for them this week. Everything is free to use on site, so check them out at statsinsider.com.au and give them a follow on Twitter whilst you're perusing uh, all the madness and anti-vaxxers infecting that platform on Twitter at Stats Insider. Thanks to all our wonderful sponsors. Thanks to you, our audience. Well, we're going to pay you back for your loyalty with 90 or so minutes of the finest football analysis and discussion you're ever likely to hear. Let's get straight into it. On Footyology, Newsfeed. Well, we have to start with the most important thing, and uh, that is, well, there are games, but where and when are those games? Uh, These are bizarre times when we're often not knowing until, uh, well, 24 hours or so before the start, where games are being played. Uh, This week, particularly difficult. There were two games scheduled in Adelaide. Adelaide uh, set to play Hawthorne. Port Adelaide set to play Collingwood. That, mind you, only after the Round 19 fixture had already been revamped with three games from Round 20 being brought forward to round 19 and three swapped back. One of those swap games was indeed the Adelaide Hawthorne game, which has now been swapped again. Adelaide and Hawthorne will now be playing at Marvel Stadium at 7.40pm on Saturday evening. The Port Adelaide Collingwood game was originally scheduled for round 19, but that too 
has been moved to Marvel Stadium Friday night, 7.10pm. So 40 minutes earlier than the standard Friday night game. This follows a day of drama uh, in Adelaide yesterday where the Adelaide and Port players were firstly told to pack their bags and get on a plane. Then as they were doing that, were told to go home again because apparently things were all up in the air. And then finally got the call up and made their way over to Melbourne. There are, however, still two games on the Sunday of the three scheduled, and they are GWS versus Essendon and the not inconsiderable Geelong versus Richmond game, which we still don't have locked in venues or times for. Now, Geelong-Richmond's been the subject of some debate too because Geelong, given that there was a lockout, wanted that home game at the MCG shifted to GMHBA Stadium. The AFL said, no, we're not doing that. Geelong, none too happy about it. So there's a lot been going on. Do you get your head around all that detail, Fanny? Well, there's a lot of detail. I'd wrap my head around it if it was the final word on where games are going to be played. But there's still more to come because we do have games without venues at the moment, as you pointed out. The AFL has worked tirelessly, Travis, Travis Old, at fixturing these games and trying to guarantee that we have a round going forwards. They also have to, of course, in moving games forward from round 20, do forward calculations to accommodate shifted games moving into round 20 from round 19. So there was some speculation during the week that the season may be truncated and because of just travel restrictions, we don't know when the final round is going to be. I think the AFL has firmly is firmly committed to completing the 23-round season or 22 games per team, which is good news. And hopefully those games are all as scheduled, if not in the all as predicted as by the fixture in terms of teams playing each other because another thought that was floated was that we might have repeat games where the um, almost unthinkable happens and two teams might not meet during the home and away season at all. Yeah, well, that was why um, some people were lobbying pretty hard for every team to play every other team at least once before we got into the rematches. Um, the Geelong-Richmond venue one is interesting. I, I sort of couldn't understand the fuss about this because whilst, uh, yes, there are no crowds at either the MCG or Cadinia Park, we all know that is a venue that offers Geelong a fair bit of an advantage. Now, this game was originally scheduled at the MCG as a Geelong home game. The deal now with their home ground is they get nine games a season at GMHBA and they played two home games at the MCG. First of them was Easter Monday against Hawthorne. This was the second one. So just because there's not going to be a crowd, I don't see why that entitles Geelong to move it to a ground where they will get uh, more of an advantage when it was originally drawn at Cadinia Park. How do you feel about that one? Well, their claim is that they would be playing their games all at GMHBA Stadium except for the fact that it closes out too many fans from seeing the game. So their claim is 
we're only at the MCG to accommodate a large crowd. If there's no crowd, it's our home game and we want to play it at home. <laughs> I can see both sides of the coin, actually, Rowan. Well, then, it's if their, that, home, if, it's their home game. But if that's the case, game. if yep. that's the case, why don't we have uh, Essendon lobbying to play their home games at the hangar? Because there's no facilities for broadcast. It, that, that's what, I mean, the AFL said that part of rescheduling these games and people were suggesting places like uh, the old Princess Park where Carlton played them. Is that Optus Oval still? I don't even know what it's called. It's Icon um, Park. Icon Park. There you go. Um, Moorabbin, which is RSCA Park. And they said, no, we can't fulfil our broadcast commitments at those grounds. So there's no, there's going to be no new grounds included in the roster. All right. Well, uh, interesting times. As I said, we still don't actually have times or venues for two of those three Sunday games, but uh, the two Adelaide games shifted to Melbourne and the time on the Friday night one, 40 minutes earlier than usual. The, uh, I guess the more disturbing news in the bigger picture was that emanating from an AFL briefing um, to club CEOs yesterday, and that was originally scheduled as a, an event, but uh, with the lockdown done virtually. But it has emerged from that that uh, the cost of this current lockdown and uh, the current state of play uh, the AFL is losing an estimated $6 million per week. And that is a figure that doesn't even include uh, gate takings or the other associated match day revenue that comes with that. So it is a phenomenal cost. And I think um, I've said this before, I think we got through last year and uh, the hemorrhaging was a little less than feared. And I think everyone sort of, pushed it to one side and thought, oh, okay, well, here we go. Well, if you work in the AFL industry and it cost you your job, you'd be painfully aware of the longer-term cost. Well, I think the fact that this is now happening again, the extent of money being lost means that we're going to have more job cuts. Um, it means that the whole competition is going to be have to be run leaner and meaner. And again, I, I think the ramifications of this year and last year, even if the pandemic was to be stopped in its tracks tomorrow, I think it's quite possible the full ramifications of it are going to be felt by the AFL competition as a whole five years from now. It's a really interesting new, sort of latest round of released information from the AFL that came out. Very interesting because on one hand, they make it very clear, $6 million lost every week, but they can't afford to risk the huge amount of money that they get from the broadcast rights. And that, of course, is why we continue to play behind closed doors, Rowan. Yeah, well, I mean, let me give you a, a sort of practical example of this, right? Now, obviously, a lot of concern in Melbourne over how the virus has been transmitted this time. Now, two major events in that were the Rugby International between Australia and France at Amy Park and the Carlton-Geelong game at the MCG. And that Carlton-Geelong game particularly has been absolutely pivotal. Well, so has the rugby because that score of players 
who ended up missing games, uh, striking the GWS Sydney game hardest, uh, they all attended the Rugby International. Now, I don't know if uh, people saw those pictures taken from outside Amy Park, but, you know, really dense crowds queuing to get into the game. Um, And I think there's certainly a feeling at AFL level that the crowd control thing has got to be seriously reviewed. Now, uh, there's been a view that if people were spread out sufficiently, and that hasn't been happening, we've commented on that several times, that they could reasonably effectively limit the spread of any virus. But uh, the Delta strain apparently is far easier to transmit. And that's been evident in some of the cases emerging from the MCG, some of which were on different levels from um, the cases they appear to have caught it from. So that whole crowd thing is going to be reviewed. And whilst we've been sort of getting away with crowds of 50%, who knows if that's not going to be reduced to 25% or 20% or 10%. So there are huge ramifications for how we view live football, even after the pandemic is finished. I agree. And the non-footballing public is asking the question and pointing the finger at those sporting events and saying, hang on a second, hang on. It's all well and good to blame everything on the removalists, but why are people allowed to gather in such large numbers, say at the football or the rugby, and put the entire state at risk? So, sure, football fans seem to be willing to take the risk, but if you put the other hat on and just as a community member, you'd say, no, there's no way that we should be allowed to have any form of mass gatherings and that will almost preclude us from having a crowd at the finals in Melbourne. Does it mean that we play the finals again in Queensland? We just have to wait and see. It's really, as you say, doubtful that we're going to have big crowds watching the football in this state until this country is vaccinated to a level of satisfaction by medical authorities, and I think that remains the key. So those anti-vaxxers that you were referring to on Twitter, the selfish world that you live in, whether you believe in it or not, the entire country relies on a very much increased percentage of the population, and we are lagging so far behind the world getting vaccinated that the basic pleasures that we and not even rights they're not rights they're the the basic freedoms we enjoy and the enjoyment we get out of going to footy and having a big crowd and many other things won't be returned until we get our percentage of vaccinated people right up there now the other thing i wanted to point out rowan is while the afl on one hand tells us that they're bleeding money counterintuitively they have also pointed out that, and you can pick up the discussion here as to why, but next year there is likely to be an increase in the soft cap for all AFL clubs. Well, that's uh, by means of compensation, I guess, for the cuts they had to endure both last year and this year. And um, I guess that's sort of aimed at areas like spending on 
mental health and welfare and things like that. So I, I think that's a reasonably positive move. Uh, I think there'd be a lot of disquiet if any money was being ploughed into, uh, you know, quote, study trips, unquote, to the US for the Super Bowl and things like that. Um, but look, I mean, you know, ask anyone who works in the industry, particularly at the AFL, I mean, the um, number of job cuts there has been quite phenomenal. So uh, the pain is actually being felt. And in a way, the punters have sort of been insulated from that because they see the games being played. They see the coaches, usual amount of coaches, it appears, sitting in the boxes on match day. Um, it's more the behind-the-scenes stuff, you know, those sort of secondary coaching appointments and um, people in football departments who have really felt the wrath of it. But, you know, look, so not trying to cry poor on their behalf. We've, everyone across the uh, across society has been privy to some sort of pain and sacrifice, and that's why uh, when you see stories like the one on the news last night about the Echuca pub owner who's just blithely ignored the lockdown and has opened for business and for some reason hasn't yet been shut down, you just... Uh, well, I get a little angry because it's that sort of selfishness which puts us all at risk. And when Rowan, talk, could, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just was when you're talking about the vaccine rollout, there's a, a certain political leader who hasn't been cited for about the last four or five days. So it'd be good to see him bob up and sort of show a little bit of leadership. Yep, go on. So I want to ask you this question uh, because, of course, we have a healthy cynicism regarding what goes on in the halls of power in the AFL. But we also are respectful of the fact that they have a very difficult job continuing making sure that there is a continued season. So it's a balancing act that we have to, we have to do mentally. The increase in the salary cap, they certainly have pointed out, the AFL, that this is to ensure that there are medical officers available and mental health is right at the top of the list of somewhere that they don't want to see cuts and they want to see spending increased. Is this out of genuine concern for the players or one of those cases where they have been forewarned that they could be clubs and the AFL could be liable for legal action for any mental health issues that are suffered by footballers during this period if they are seen to be instrumental in cutting those services to the players? Is it concern or is it out of financial fear of financial taking a financial hit? Oh, I suspect a bit of both. And um, uh, look, that's, that's a good point. I think uh, I don't doubt the, the sincerity of, of the aim, but uh, you'd think also the legal, uh, I guess, threats uh, becoming more real, aren't they? And uh, that was certainly behind, uh, for example, the introdu introduction of the medical sub. Clearly, um, some strong advice that, uh, you know, they were in danger of being sued uh, to the moon and back over um, the after effects of concussion, unless there were sort of a, every appropriate safeguard taken. So, uh, we live in a litigious age, so uh, from yes, that point of view, it wouldn't so, surprise so do you think me. So do you think they're using, and this is a legal term, so not everybody might be familiar with this legal term, are they 
covering their asses? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think to an extent, but uh, I don't sort of think that's something to be uh, slagged off at, if you like. I mean, I, you know, we're, the competition's running shorter on money. It needs to uh, to watch every dollar it has and protect every dollar it has. All right, that's enough on that. Uh, a big, I guess, purer footy story brewing. And, um, well, we had talked about it the other week, but it looks like it's going to be one of those ones in which we get almost daily updates. That, of course, is the Hawthorne coaching succession plan between Alistair Clarkson, Sam Mitchell, uh, your mate Caroline Wilson, uh, cast the cat among the pigeons the other night on TV, finally, by suggesting that uh, there'd been a mediation meeting between Alistair Clarkson and Sam Mitchell last Wednesday, that it hadn't gone well, um, that Sam Mitchell indicated he would much prefer to be taking the reins uh, next season, not waiting until 2023, and that Alistair Clarkson was also a bit miffed about how things had panned out. Uh, the developments in that continue. Jeff Kennett, Hawthorne chairman, uh, late on Tuesday night, sent an email to members with some strong words denying that there was any sort of issue. Uh, we're already getting commentary around it. Certainly the journal journalist side of this story seems to be, uh, well, barracking for a particular narrative, and that would be along the lines of trouble in the camp. Obviously, that's a far sexier story than if things go smoothly. Um, read uh, John Ralph in the Herald Sun, wrote an interesting column this morning about it, uh, talking about uh, Clarko apparently giving one of the people that set up the deal a bit of a serve, uh, Mitchell, preferring to be coach next year but uh, I'm not having a go at Ralphie here but like uh, it's one of those sort of things where there's a fair bit of speculation that's quite saucy and then the more concrete stuff down the end is the on the record denials but even in Ralphie's piece it basically ends up with an off the record quote from someone saying that Clarkson will stay there just to give Jeff the shits is the quote so uh, I mean, we said when we talked about this fighty that, you know, Clarko isn't the sort of guy driven necessarily by ego. That's obviously going to be tested when you're after a longer-term coaching contract and the club says, no, we're starting to look elsewhere. But I genuinely do think that uh, the ego is less of an issue for him than some of his contemporaries. I think he is emotionally invested in the club. I think he is keen to set the club up for life after he leaves and, and in a way, thus protect his own legacy. And I, I still think, despite all this speculation, that uh, what was announced is what will happen. How do you see it? All right. Part one, um, Caroline Wilson. This is where Caroline Wilson is at her best. Now, it's funny, you know, sometimes you get and people that didn't hear my rant in the preview, uh, pardon me, the Sunday review edition of Footyology uh, might be excused to think that I'll see a red rag every time I hear the name Caroline Wilson. Definitely not. Here she's dealing in facts and broke the news that mediation was required 
between Mitchell and Clarkson, and that is firm ground on which a journalist like Caro Wilson should be standing, not speculating about the effect that somebody's um, private life has on a playing group. Well done, Caroline Wilson. The story needs to be told because it is of interest to football fans, particularly Hawthorne fans, and it, given what has preceded with other failed succession plans, it is of interest. Now, to say that this is not a succession plan, as Ralphie suggested, but comes under the umbrella of some other handover term, well, that's tomatoes, tomatoes, potatoes, potatoes to me. This is some form of succession plan. And what do they say, Rowan? Leopards and spots. You can take the fight, you know, you can take the boy out of the fight, but you can't take the fight out of the boy. Pretty competitive person, Clarko. And I don't think it's ego that stands in the way of a smooth handover. It's a sense of justice, a sense of right and wrong. And from Clarko's perspective, the man that delivered four premierships to Hawthorne, the man that engineered one of the most extraordinary turnarounds in a club's fortunes in the history of football, really, deserves, he believes, to write his own narrative and go out on his terms. And at the moment, I think he feels he's been denied that. Yeah, well, I just want to question the whole sort of um, assumption that there, you know, that this is even mediation and that there's a, a row that needs to be smoothed over. I mean, we always do this as a football media group. You know, if there is disagreement or vigorous discussion, we say, oh, there's a blue on, you know, there's conflict. Well, in any sort of, you know, a part of a lot of workplaces in a healthy environment, there is robust discussion and there is disagreement. There are occasionally heated words exchanged and and perhaps that is the case. I just question that because that happens, it means that the whole thing is on the rocks. And yeah, but hang on, hang on. Let's, let no, me hang on, let me finish. With you. Let well, me let finish. me disagree with you. You said you question whether there's mediation. There was mediation. Caroline Wilson wrote an article, said there was mediation. That has not been refuted. No, she didn't write an article. She spoke oh, she on said it on, No, no, she said it on, on TV. But that has not been refuted. There was mediation. Was it mediation or was it a meeting that the two guys had to work out how the arrangement will work? Didn't she use the term mediation? No, I no, it doesn't mean that it was mediation. That's exactly my point. I read, I read the print version of that interview. That's why I said article. I think it would have been... I think mediation is a, a step, a... a a process that requires physically a, at least a third party, one other person to be in the discussion, in the meeting, and that is mediation and that has not been refuted. So I I would stand, I would say that we stand by what Caroline Wilson said, that it was more than just a discussion. All right, well, look, I'm in perhaps the unusual position here of uh, reaching for stuff Jeff Kennett has said to support what I'm contending, but... I mean, Kenneth's email to members last night, firstly, it denied the suggestion that he'd be happy for Clarkson to go and to pay out the contract. He called that a complete fabrication. Uh, more importantly, though, about that alleged mediation, in his email to members, he said that Hawthorne had planned a meeting last week 
between Clarkson, Mitchell, the head of the football department, Rob McCartney, and leading teams, uh, boss Ray McLean. He rubbished the suggestion that it was a blow-up requiring of mediation, and he said the playing group was aware of the meeting. The quote is, these meetings are designed to work out the individual and shared responsibilities between Alistair and Sam as we prepare for the transition at the end of next year's season. These meetings are common sense. We would be derelict in our duty if these meetings uh, did not take place. So... So you're back in Kennet and I'm back in Caroline Wilson. Hmm, interesting. Well, I'm not... <laughs> I, yeah, I, I'm not... Uh, I, yeah, I, I understand Caro's, um, I guess, uh, you know, sort of putting two and two together and saying it's a mediation session. But the point I'm making is a broader one, which is there is plenty of conflict that goes on in footy clubs. And it doesn't always mean that something is on the edge or tension or whatever. I mean, I've... Yeah, you know, the time I've spent inside clubs on on reporting assignments and whatever, I've I've witnessed it myself at match committee meetings where two guys start abusing each other over over a dispute about something. I mean, I could go away from that and write a story saying, you know, North Melbourne has been rocked by internal disharmony over the selection of blah blah blah, but you don't because you just accept it's part of the sort of cut and thrust of how a, a sporting club works. Anyway, time will tell. Oh, hang on, hang on. This is a bit different, though. Are we at a point where Mitchell wants to coach next year and Clarkson will not hand over the reins next year? Well, of course Mitchell wants to coach next year. He wants to coach next week if he could, but he's just going to have to wait. Doesn't, okay, mean and... th- doesn't mean the whole thing's on the rocks. All right. Okay. All right. Watch this space, as Caroline Wilson would say. Um, all right, there's enough news this week. Uh, nine games to preview in a very robust fashion. Let's do that. On Footyology, wrap around. The first game of round 19 rescheduled to Marvel Stadium, 7.10pm on Friday evening. That uh, unusual start time. Don't mind it, actually. It means uh, after Footyology final siren. I'll be able to get to bed before about 3 a.m. Saturday morning. So looking forward to that one. Anyway, I digress. 7.10 p.m. Marvel Stadium. Uh, Palmer bet odds. Well, understandably, we don't have them for this game. Of course, uh, that venue and time only locked in last night. So um, a bit of work to do from the odds makers and our friends at Palmer bet. Uh, The advice is there to check the app or uh, look for updates at the website, palmerbet.com. If you want odds on that Port Adelaide Collingwood game head-to-head. Stats Insider tell us the Port are back in the top four, which is where they've been for 11 of this season's 18 rounds, and where they have a 56.3 chance of staying, according to the Stats Insider futures model. While Port hasn't been as dominant as they were in 2020, someone who has in Ollie Wines is now the second favourite for the Brownlow medal. He ranks third in the league for total disposals and has ranked top 10 for clearances, centre clearances and total inside 50. Certainly back to his bullish best this season, Ollie Wines. Uh, what about selection, Finey? Uh, what's happening there for both the power and the pies? Power 
Yep, that is the term that should be used to describe the ins for Port Adelaide because they are power inclusions on the back of a very good win at this venue, Marvel Stadium against St Kilda last round. Into the side, Dersma and Rosie, both back into the team. And they would come in, you'd think, for Boyd Woodcock and Sam Mays. Bit unlucky Sam Mays, but he's going to be the small forward victim. And even Butters is a chance to play. And he would probably take Martin Frederick's spot if he is right to go. As for their opponents, Collingwood, well, they are limping to the end of the 2021 season. And uh, caretaker coach Robert Harvey, Callum Brown, has gone in for shoulder surgery. Josh Thomas cannot be considered because of concussion. And there is also genuine concerns for Hoskin Elliott and Majacek both fighting injuries. And off the five-day break, remember, that's all they've got. They played on the Sunday against Carlton with a G. They are possibly going to be up against it time-wise to play in this game. How about those for some big outs? Possible ins, we've talked about Jack Ginevan being in the side. I think he might get his chance. Sia, who is one of those in-and-out players, also an opportunity to have another game. I would have thought the likes of Wilson and Potter are a chance. And definitely if my checks out, expect Mason Cox to play in what I would think might be one of his final games for Collingwood. He'll be on the trade table, albeit a big table, at the end of the season. The game has been moved from South Australia. If that has in any way, in people's minds, strengthened the claims for a Collingwood upset victory, think again. Because, as I said, Port Adelaide actually returned to the venue they played last week. So that is good grounding. And they had a good win under the uh, uh, at Marvel Stadium. I don't know if the roof was... Yeah, it would have been closed. You don't need to keep it open when there's no crowd. And I guess they'll close it again. And I'll close any chance Colin would have on winning this game at the selection table and beyond. Beyond, because Port Adelaide are better than Collingwood. Beyond, because Port Adelaide have much more to play for than Collingwood. Beyond, because Port Adelaide's forward line, with the inclusions of Rosie and possibly Butters, will provide a huge headache for the Collingwood back line. And beyond, because player for player, there's no way Collingwood win this game. They're trying the youngsters. Good on them. The game against Carlton, I think, will be effort-wise for Collingwood their last gasp. They couldn't find the energy in the final quarter and I don't think they'll be doing much for four quarters against Port Adelaide, who I tipped to win by a comfortable 37 points. Yeah, can't uh, disagree with any of that. Really uh, disappointing fade out by the Pies in that last quarter last week uh, against the old enemy too, and you might scoff, but uh, a lot of Collingwood people pretty unhappy about the way that game ended for them. Didn't give much of a yelp in the last quarter after basically controlling the game for three quarters. So uh, it was like a few guys have started to check out. Uh, The other thing which sways me here um, is the venue, funnily enough, because uh, Port go right at Marvel Stadium. I've always felt that. I've seen them play some really good footy at this ground, but particularly of late. Uh, in fact, as recently as last week, they have played at Marvel three times this season for three really good wins. One against North Melbourne, one against Hawthorne a few week, 
uh, weeks back in uh, Sean Burgoyne's 400th and against your Saints, finally. And that was a particularly gritty win, I felt. One which I think uh, not only gives them a good site for the venue, but uh, just on a, a more general level, I think will really reinforce a bit of confidence about how good they can be. I've still got my doubts, but the fact is they are in the top four and it's their spot to lose they can't afford to be dropping games like this one against teams they should beat. And as we have said consistently, or Stats Insider have told us repeatedly, they are very, very consistently good at disposing of teams they should be disposing of. So I think you can add Collingwood to the list on this occasion. I'm going for the power by 28 points. That is the Friday night game. Crowded schedule on Saturday, back to five games. Let's run through them. 145 Marvel Stadium Saturday afternoon sees Carlton up against North Melbourne. Carlton, of course, uh, buoyed by a terrific last quarter revival and victory against the Pies last week. Uh, North Melbourne, well, they pushed Essendon most of the way up on the Gold Coast. So uh, therefore has been reasonably steady for a side where they are on the ladder. Palmerbet telling us, head-to-head, it is the Blues who go in pretty warm favourites. They are paying $1.50 and North Melbourne paying $2.61. What do Stats Insider say? Well, the Kangaroos have actually won five of their last six games against Carlton, with the Blues averaging just 58.6 points per game over those six encounters. With that said, the Blues do have a significant advantage in this game, and it comes in the form of Harry Mackay. The Blues is a team ranked ninth in the league for marks inside 50. Harry Mackay is number one in that stat, and a big reason he's already kicked the league-best 52 goals. The worry for North is that they've conceded the most marks inside 50 this season and are allowing opponents to kick a goal on 28.1% of inside 50 entries, which is quite easily the worst figure in the league. So there you go. That is a particularly significant stat. Uh, North's greatest Achilles heel might well be the Blues' greatest strength. Ins and outs, Fidey, what are both of those teams doing? Well, actually, Carlton and North both add a player that you would have thought Well, he's in the side. That tips the scales in the favour of either team. But, of course, they're such good players, the scales are balanced. And I speak of Patrick Cripps returning for Carlton and Ben Cunnington returning to the North Melbourne lineup. It'll be for all the better for the game. Jed Anderson should be back for North Melbourne. And I guarantee you who will be back for Carlton. And that is Mark Murphy because he's over that calf niggle and they would be pretty desperate to make sure that he gets to 300 games before the end of the season. This will help. Ours, Jack Nunes will probably make the way at Carlton. He copped a knock against uh, uh, Collingwood anyhow, and he would have, he's sort of struggling to hold his place in the team. And the small forward spot that Mark Murphy covets, young Owies, who's been pretty good, hasn't kicked a goal in the last two weeks. And I think he might have to make way as for North Melbourne. Similarly, a knock suffered uh, in their last loss by Jack Marnie means that he's unlikely to play. And Lazaro, even though he showed a little bit for North Melbourne, might also have to make way. Look, Carlton still have a chance of making the finals. And as long as 
that is a driver, I think that is a bit of an advantage. They're unlikely to make it, but not impossible. They have to be sort of put up in the names of teams contending because of last week's missteps by the likes of St Kilda and Fremantle. And look, it was a very good performance anyhow. So we know that they've got a star in Sam Walsh. Cripps comes back into the side. And they'd be well served last week by Cripps' absence because Kennedy stepped up and so did Dow. So I think that midfield strength should be enough to get them home. Yes, Mackay is a huge advantage up one end, the Coleman leader, but Larky's playing bloody well down the other end. So Carlton will have to keep a handle on one of the tallest forwards in the comp. Midfield domination, I see that going Carlton's way and the game, Carlton by 23. Yeah, look, they, they were really impressive in that last quarter. It's um, I find, you know, with my own views on the Blues, that when they produce a quarter or two like that, I think, gee, they, you know, there's considerable upside here, but they just don't do it regularly enough. And I think that's the, the greatest concern. Um, North Melbourne, yeah, well, that was, yeah, that wasn't the highest standard game of all time, their game against Essendon last week, but they hung in there. Uh, particularly missing Ben Cunnington. Um, so that'll be a welcome return for them uh, this week, you'd think. Uh, the Blues, though, Sam Walsh. I've actually written a piece on Sam Walsh, which uh, you'll be able to read on Footyology tomorrow. Um, he is on course, I reckon, to have the... Well, he's had the best 50 games, uh, 56 games. It's been an incredible 50-odd games by Sam Walsh, and... Uh, I had the numbers to back it up, but his influence just grows and grows. And uh, doing it last week, a career-best 39 disposals without Patrick Cripps there. Jeez, he's been a good player. He is not without a shot at the Brownlow this year. I think he's sixth favourite currently. Anyway, I think Carlton's best is still a fair bit uh, more than North Melbourne's best at this stage. That's not discounting what the Roos have done. I think they've been really competitive over the second half of the year. So I don't think it'll be a, a runaway win, but really it is a game that Carlton should and I think will win. I'm going for the Blues to win it by 18 points. All right, let's go to game number two on Saturday. Second game on the Saturday card is the battle of the two Queensland sides at the Gabba, 3.10pm Brisbane, the home team, taking on Gold Coast, a Q-Clash. I forgot for a moment what the what it's called, but there it is, the Q-Clash. Palmerbet have Brisbane, understandably, a very warm favourite indeed. They are paying $1.22. Gold Coast, $4.30 on the head-to-heads. Stats Insider say the Suns are in season-best form and are causing a lot of heartache for finals and premiership aspirants. Last week, the Suns became just the third team this season to generate more scoring shots in a game against the Bulldogs, joining both Sydney and Melbourne in that realm. They also out-tackled the Dogs by a massive 18, which is the biggest discrepancy the Bulldogs have suffered in 60 straight games. Coming into this match, the Suns are ranked second in the league for tackle differential, whereas the Lions rank just 12th in the same statistics. Category uh, selection finding. Uh, it's been a really rough few weeks for Brisbane on the injury front. Any light on the horizon there? Well, Callum Archie didn't play last week. He'll 
come back into the team. And possibly Nakaya Cocker too. He has played a couple of games at VFL or scratch match level. And I wouldn't be surprised if they rolled the dice because they need something. They've got, they need a circuit breaker. And if they are planning to use him as a bit of a shock trooper for the rest of the season and into the finals, then maybe a game against Gold Coast is a good introduction. He could come in for Kadeem Coleman. He just, what he does is good, but does he do enough at the moment? And Callum Archie could come in for, will come in, I think, for Jack Payne through the back line. As for the Gold Coast, well, they're going along, as you've pointed out, pretty well in terms of winning a couple of games and also putting the cat amongst the pigeons for others. Uh, Markov will return to the team. Unfortunately, he's replacing a former Richmond teammate and a key cog there, Brandon Ellis, who injured his hamstring last week against the Bulldogs. So good to get Markov back, but they will miss Ellis's high possession game and drive off the back line, at least the like for like there. Brisbane, they do hold it over Gold Coast. They lord it over them at present because they are the senior partner in the Q clash. And there is certainly a strong rivalry there. Goes back to the early days. And a, a current demon always used to put the cat amongst the pigeons. I speak of Stephen May. I think he set up a, a fairly strong rivalry in his robust approach to those games. He's gone, but the games remain highly competitive. In Brisbane, you know what? They need to improve if they're going to beat the Gold Coast Suns. But we can't imagine, surely, with finals beckoning and a top four spot still up for grabs, that that improvement won't come. They do need more out of that forward line. Danaher needs to hit up harder, present more, know that he has to replace Hipwood in terms of ground coverage. Likewise, Dan McStay, who's always been a bit part player, needs to increase his involvement. And maybe Oscar McInerney, certainly against Gold Coast, who have a ruck-depleted lineup, could go forward and press that very game, but sometimes undersized Gold Coast backline. For these reasons, again, not dissimilar to my Port Adelaide Collingwood theory that one team has so much more to play for, you've got to lean towards Brisbane. Caution needs to be taken. It's a danger game because Gold Coast would love that scalp more than any others. But I'll stick with the Lions by 17. Now, I think there's an argument the last uh, three weeks have been the best period in the Suns' entire history. Uh, I know, you know, the 2014 at one stage, they were looking at serious top eight chance. But uh, given where they were coming from and the youth in this side, you know, the win over Richmond win in difficult conditions in Ballarat against GWS and then pushing the Bulldogs to within a couple of goals last week. It's it's three great weeks. Can they keep it going? Well, sorry, but I'm still a bit dubious about that. I think at some stage there has to sort of be the push over the cliff. And unfortunately, the motivation is a big factor in this one because the Lions have lost their spot in the top four. Uh I think the chances of them doing anything in September are minimal without playing at least one, if not two, home finals. So they simply have to get that top four spot back. That means they're going to have to win every game starting here. Drop this one and, uh, well, uh, they're going to be cannon fodder in the finals. So really got to find something. Uh, It's not just about the win this one. They need to win really well and rediscover a bit of that fluency and, uh, the resilience that we were talking about only 
a few weeks ago before these last two really disappointing performances against uh, First St Kilda and then Richmond last week. So I think uh, on that basis, they end up having a pretty decent win. Uh, no disrespect to the Gold Coast. They have been great, but I can see Brisbane winning this one pretty well. I'm going for the Lions to win by 40 points. All right, let's go to game number three on Saturday. The Twilight Game on Saturday evening in Perth, 4.35pm Eastern Standard Time, so afternoon game in WA, West Coast taking on St Kilda. Palmerbet having the Eagles installed as warm favourites. You can get $1.41 on the Eagles head-to-head. And on the Saints, you can get $2.93. Stats Insider say a desperate return to form for the Eagles last week, who enjoyed their first 10-goal second half of the season and are now a 44.4% chance of returning to September action for a seventh straight season. Meanwhile, it's time for an Andrew Gaff stat. When he has amassed at least 34 touches in a game this season, the Eagles are five and zip. They are four and eight when he hasn't. In fact, last week was the 40th time Gaff has collected at least 34 touches in a game with the Eagles saluting in 32 of those matches. Wow, that is a great stat. That is an amazing uh, barometer for the Eagles. And, uh, gee, he's been a good player for them for a long time. Well, I've got to, even uh, at our cynical best about the Eagles this season, they are at home. They have got their tails up. Confidence to be coming back. And uh, the Saints coming off a pretty disappointing loss to Port Adelaide last week, uh, given the stakes. Uh, what are they considering in the terms of shaking up the 22, Forney? St Kilda, yeah, mate, they've been shook up. They've been absolutely torn apart by injury and by the upgrade of that rugby game to a tier one category for the entire ground. It has basically ruined St Kilda's bid to win this game at a spot in the eight. I'll make it as clear cut as that. You see, from last week's game, remember St Kilda certainly looked vulnerable down back, didn't they, with height? Well, they lose their second tallest backman, the very promising Tom Highmore. He's out for the year with hand surgery. They lose Dan McKenzie with concussion. So they need to replace that tall backman. Well, the VFL side had a good win, and one of their best players was Darren Joyce. He cannot be considered. The Irishman obviously likes his rugby. He was at the rugby. But the big loss is the New Zealander that was at the rugby. And I speak of Rowan Marshall. He's not available either. Both Joyce and Marshall stayed in Melbourne. And you know how hot I've been on the importance of the combination of Marshall and Paddy Ryder. So who comes into the team? Well, Jack Bytel had a good game in the VFL. I suggest he would come in for Dan McKenzie. Hunter will come in for Marshall. Loney kicked five goals in the VFL. He'd come in for McKenzie. And young Paul Hunter will have to take his spot in the ruck, replacing Marshall. As for the replacement for Highmore, they're desperately going to turn to James Frawley. 
his time in St Kilda Jumper has been sketchy, injury-ridden and at best, uh, let's just say, he's been a talisman more than a footballer. I don't know how they're going to cope with the returning Josh Kennedy. He's back in the team. And Darling and Allen and whoever else goes forward to exploit that lack of height. As I said, Kennedy back. Shuey, there's some question mark there. If he doesn't play, maybe Xavier O'Neill comes back in the team. But I'll tell you, or Hutchings. But I'll tell you this much. They are in a world of hurts and killed it with that lineup. West Coast got some confidence last week against Adelaide. It was a slow burn. They didn't kick a goal in the first quarter. And you thought West Coast had departed season 2021. But by game's end, they got their mojo back. As you said, Gafford, important inclusion. St Kilda would have had a bit of air taken out of the balloon in the game against Port Adelaide after winning three games in a row and looking like a contender for the eight. They still are mathematically, but as I say, I can't see that team putting any pressure on West Coast over in Perth. For mine, comfortable. West Coast by 51 points. I'll tell you what, one interesting element here, uh, St Kilda's lack of familiarity with the venue. They've only played there three times and they haven't played there for, well, getting on for two and a half years. Uh, early April 2019 was their last game at Optus Stadium. That was against Fremantle. They've actually only played the Eagles there once before and that was uh, halfway through 2018, so three years ago. Yeah, look, that is a... A sorry selection tale. I don't think even if you did like the Saints' chances, that wouldn't change your mind. Uh, you're absolutely spot on about Marshall. Everyone's aware of his importance. And in that tandem with Ryder, and uh, a bad uh, week particularly to be missing him coming up against Nick Natanui. I think um, the other thing about last week for the Eagles was uh, got a bit of that fluency up forward happening again. They've looked a bit disjointed of late, but uh, great game from Jamie Cripps, or Tom Byron, as I like to call him. I'm never going to get tired of that simile. Um, He is a really important player for them, often undersold, I think, and uh, that was a great effort from him. Uh, I'm not saying the mojo is totally back, but uh, yeah, an undermanned opponent, home ground that has soft kill written all over it. Uh, I'm going to go for the Eagles to win that one by 24 points, uh, which brings us to Saturday evening. Saturday evening, Marvel Stadium, 7.40pm, has Adelaide taking on Hawthorne. Yep, Adelaide, funnily enough, nominally the home team. Of course, the late venue change means that Palmer bet can't give us the head-to-heads for this one as we record this, which is uh, reasonably early on Wednesday morning. Obviously, those odds will be available on Palmerbet, so check their app or check the website palmerbet.com for odds closer to game time. Stats Insider say that still one of the statistical oddities of this season is the fact that Hawthorne ranks third in the league for total disposals, yet is dead last for generating inside 50s and second last for producing scoring shots once inside 50. 
So uh, a lot of work happening there for not much reward. Meanwhile, the Crows have lost four games in a row. I think now they've lost 11 of their last 13, in fact, and have averaged just 52.2 points per game in those matches. So uh, after a really bright start to the season, uh, it's been about three months now of real disappointment for the Crows. I think uh, the end of this season is probably something they're pretty keenly looking forward to. Uh, can I look forward to any selection um, upswing, finding? Yeah, big upswing for them. Tom Dodo will come back into the side. Quick and easy replacement because Nick Murray, I don't know whether you saw the incident when he went for a mark and he ended up landing on his back. He was concussed. God, it could have been worse. Luckily, he landed sort of flat on his back and hit his head. The neck was in danger there. He misses with concussion. And Phil Thorpe was rested last week. He'll come in for probably him, Himmelberg, who didn't do a heck of a lot up forward. Billy Frampton, he lives between the Sandful and the v and the AFL. He was very good in the Sandful last week. Um, but unfortunately, I don't think there's a spot for him at AFL level. As for the Hawks, now they welcome back Wingard. Chad Wingard, who's been out recently injured, he'll come back, I think. Tyler Brockman, who was good early in the season and pre-season, hasn't continued on with his form. He was given a chance last week and barely touched the ball. Well, I'd be happy to tip against both teams in this game. Definitely the new venue favours the Hawks and they'll be pleased to be playing Adelaide at home. That's something. And you just have to say that which Hawthorne turns up because, of course, we've seen Hawthorne in recent weeks provide us with great game against Melbourne, a draw. That almost tells me that they're going to be absent the week after. It's funny. You'd think good form would uh, encourage you to tip them, but with the Hawks, for me, it sort of says one week on, one week off, thereabouts. But I think Adelaide's run their race, as you pointed out. They're looking for the finish line. The forward line looks better with Phil Thorpe. Taylor Walker also seems to be running out of puff after a magnificent first half of the year. I think Hawthorne can withstand what Adelaide provide in terms of uh, some offensive power. And I tip the Hawks in this one. There is another possible in for Adelaide. He only had one game back in the sample so far, but the forgotten man, Matt Crouch, could play. The reason I don't think he will play is they're trying to sort of move him on at the end of the season. And I don't know whether they're in a hurry to bring him back into the team. It'll be an interesting watch. Hawthorne for mine by 19. Yeah, well, the Hawks have become my new Fremantle, i.e. the team I just cannot ever get right, uh, like you. Uh, last week, I, I thought Melbourne had ripped them apart last week. And, of course, they turned around and produced a really gutsy uh, draw as a result. And every time I think they're going to get a bit of a, a boost and give whoever their opponent is a bit of trouble, they turn in a shocker. So I can't get them right. Um, certainly wildly inconsistent by Hawthorne standards. Adelaide though, gee, it's been, a like I said, 11 losses from the last 13. It's a pretty steady downward curve. Um, I used to think they were pretty decent at this venue, but uh, they certainly haven't been this season. They've been there three times already. Won the first one well against North Melbourne, but uh, lost to Carlton there. And, of course, the most recent visit only a couple of weeks ago is against Essendon, 
One of the uh, bleakest days in the club's history, returning a record low score of just two goals, nine. I don't think it's going to be lamentable this week against the Hawks, but uh, some of these Hawthorne kids really have something to play for, I think. And uh, Bramble, boy, he's been super impressive since he came into the side. I thought um, he was terrific for them last week and plenty of excitement around him as well. So I reckon the Hawks can perhaps find something just over the last month of a season and head into 2022 with uh, a bit more positivity than you might have thought was the case only a couple of weeks ago. Two disappointing years by two disappointing sides, but I think this is a good chance for the Hawks to steal a win here. I don't think it'll be by a lot, though. I'm going for Hawthorne by 10 points. All right, there is one game left on Saturday, and it's a rip snorter because it's a battle of one versus two. Well, Melbourne on top of the ladder by half a game from the Western Bulldogs in second place. And for the second time this season, these two front up against each other, this time at the MCG rather than Marvel Stadium. The kickoff time is 7.25 p.m. Palmer bet. Well, I've put a bit of work into this one. Pretty hard to split these two. Melbourne. A very, very marginal favourite. You can get a dollar eighty-five on the Demons head to head. The Bulldogs paying a dollar ninety-five on Palmer Bet. The Dogs have lost four of their last six games at the MCG. Stats Insider tell us, and they've averaged just seventy-six point three points per game in those matches. It's a big ground that both stretches their defence and doesn't cater to their quick handball and heavy inside fifty game. Conversely, it's a big reason why Melbourne has lost just one of their nine games at the venue this season, as their dominant defence has afforded that little bit extra time and space. This season, the Demons are conceding 66.1 points per game, though that number drops to just 60.2 for games played at the G. So it's been a big advantage for them. They won't have the advantage of the members cheering them on obviously, this week. Will they have the advantage of a reasonably full lineup, Finey? And ditto the Bulldogs. Yeah, well, they've had a pretty strong list of choose from all year, haven't they? Last week, uh, Harms was a withdrawal. Unusual reason, ear infection. He's over that, should come back into the team. Sparrow was the unused sub, and he's in and out of that team with, uh, for him, annoying regularity. Harms comes in. Does he bust into the 22? Because Vandenberg was good when he replaced him. Uh, we'll leave that to quandary to the Demons on the selection table. As for Bulldogs, a simple in and out. This is the easiest of the year. Liberatore was rested last week. They rush him back because he was missed against Gold Coast. And Dunkley, he played his first game back after long injury. How's this for cruel luck? He was in the right cafe at the wrong time turned out it was a tier one exposure site he's got to serve the mandatory 14 days on the sidelines bad luck for josh ripper game melbourne had their measure earlier on in the season and i get a sense that the demons do man up well against this bulldogs lineup why because 
the kind of game that is relied upon by the Bulldogs, we know that they feast off opposition turnovers. Well, Melbourne's been pretty good at ball retention. But most importantly, the Doggies also, at 50-50 situations, love getting the ball into Liberatore's hands and then out to the good users. We know that Bontempelli will slash you. We know that McLean will be, uh, pardon me, not McLean. And by the way, bad luck for Toby McLean. He's done his knee again through the VFL, and that's cruel luck for that young man. Um, but we know that they've got so many fantastic recipients of the ball. I met McRae, of course, and that just is harder against Melbourne because Melbourne have got so many good boys at the coalface. Viney was good last week, adding to that power. Clayton Oliver, we know, is a brilliant inside mid. Petrarca is inside and outside. Add Brayshaw to the mix. You've got a team there. It's bloody tough to win the ball against. And I'm going to, again, as I did earlier on in the season, feeling that Melbourne might just be kryptonite to some of the superpowers that Bulldogs have exhibited during the year, tip the Demons by nine points. Yeah, look, I, I, I reckon this will be a good game to watch. And I reckon uh, you can almost back it in. It's going to be close, I reckon. Um, interesting. They last played uh, seven weeks ago, six games since then. Bulldogs have had the slightly superior form over that journey. They've won four of six. The only losses to Geelong after the siren at Geelong and to uh, a pretty decent Sydney side in a really high-quality game a couple of weeks back. So I think their form has been pretty solid. The Dunans, well, they have definitely dropped a gear or two since the uh, win over the Bulldogs by 28 points back about seven weeks back. They've won three, lost two and drawn one. And uh, that draw last week, yeah, not particularly inspiring. I think it's uh, interesting stuff from Stats Insider about the Bulldogs and the MCG. I have had that feeling. I, I didn't have time to check it out, but they clearly play a better brand of footy more regularly at Marvel Stadium than they do at the MCG. But they're going to win a flag, obviously. They need to get better at the G. I think they can. Um I thought they were, uh, they'd be misled by the fact they only beat Gold Coast by 11 points. It was a pretty decent showing from the Suns and they had to work pretty hard, but they did. Um, and I think, uh, I think there's a, they'll be very keen to turn around that result from seven weeks ago because they didn't give a great account of themselves that night. I think they'll be keen to show that uh, they do have the method it takes to upset the Melbourne apple cart. Um, only a slight upset, obviously, given though how close those odds are. But I am going for the Bulldogs here, and I'm going to go for them very narrowly by just two points. That is the Saturday card. Let's talk about Sunday. Well, we don't know when two of the three games on Sunday will be, but we do know one of them at least, and we know it's going to be the first game on the agenda. That is because it is a pretty early start time of 12.30pm. It's on the Gold Coast at Metricon Stadium and the combatants are Sydney and Fremantle. It's what a strange world we live in, thanks to the pandemic. Uh, Palmer Bet telling us on this one that the Swans, a very warm favourite, $1.29 head-to-head Fremantle. 
$3.64 you can get head-to-head on Palmer Bet. Stats Insider say the Swans rank fifth in the league, winning 55% of their interstate matches this season, while the Dockers rank 14th, winning just three of their nine games outside of WA. We keep speaking about Sydney's defence as this is what's really propelling their top four push. The Swans conceded at least 88 points in three of their first seven games, though that hasn't happened once over the last 10. While it's not just their defenders who are contributing, it's taking opponents an average of three kicks to generate an uncontested mark against the Swans, which is the best figure in the league, while only Geelong is giving up less uncontested possessions per game. The bad news for Fremantle is that they rank 12th for points and uncontested possessions per game and dead last for metres gained differential. So the Swans, uh, great defensive strengths against an attack that has struggled and uh, they've got a pretty decent sort of running game going to the Swans and that is something the Dockers struggle to cope with. Uh, Anything on the selection front for either of these two, Fawn? Yeah, bad news for the Dockers. Rory Lobb, syndesmosis, sees out for the year. And Sean Darcy is unlikely as well. Their replacements, Lloyd Meek to come into the side, hopefully by name, not by nature, because if he has to take up the rucking duties against one of the best ruckmen in the competition, Tom Hickey, he needs to have everything firing on all cylinders. And Hayden Young, remember Hayden Young? Good player. He's been out for so long, uh, he's ready to return to the senior lineup. But that leaves them with a pretty short forward line. And uh, let's just hope Dusty gets up. As for the Swans, well, that rugby game, boy, is it wreaking havoc because they, of course, still cannot consider Callum Mills, Harry Cunningham, Callum, uh, Colin O'Reardon, and Callum Sinclair. Bad luck, but that is the rules. Uh, you know who played last week in a scratch match for them, Rowan? Sam Reid, bit of a forgotten man. But we know that coach John Longmire loves having Reid in the team. Probably not ready to come back yet. Dylan Stevens was one of the players promoted in the seniors last week. He didn't really look up to the level. And James Bell, not getting a lot of the ball, might have another chance, both those boys, this week because of that COVID tier one situation with the rugby and this game falls fairly and squarely into the lap of the swans one of the Fremantles, one of Fremantle's great strengths this year has been the form of lob up forward and darcy in the ruck well take those two out what are you left with you're left with a pretty good midfield of mundy fife sarah sarong or chera sarong and brayshaw but not a lot of service through the big man department And we know that Sydney, up to the task of not only winning the ball, but keeping opposition stars quiet, will work out how to circumvent that danger and win the game. Quite frankly, you can't see Fremantle summonsing the energy to win this game after being humiliated at home by Geelong. They play a team that actually does the things that Geelong did to them in terms of countering the stars and really denying them the ball. Well, the Swans can do that just as well. And they go harder sometimes than the Cats even. 
So no chance for Emmanuel. Swans by 39. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, gee, I, I know I've been on my swans all year. I tipped them to make the eight, but uh, I've written a piece for Australian Community Media, um, which will appear later today on Wednesday. And I actually think they are half a flag chance. I really do. They're, um, they're a game outside the top four. Their run home is very manageable. They'll start favourite in every one of those five games. And the sort of footy they're playing... Um, Boy, it's it's everything's coming together for them. I think the older guys and uh, some of the younger guys sort of getting their second wind after a, a bit of a quiet period for some of them. It's a real intoxicating combination. Geez, I love Justin McInerney. What a player he's going to be for them. Um, he just offers them so much. Sam Wicks, I like. You know, Chad Warner, we haven't seen for a while. He can come back into it. Um, and Tom Hickey, as you say, that's the thing that's sort of tipped him over the edge this year, I think, in terms of performance. He has just been absolutely outstanding. Buddy Franklin getting on the park again. Uh, it's all coming together for them and uh, wonderful to witness. Geez, it'd be a great story if they won. You know, they come, they become winning it from 16th. Hasn't been done before. So uh, a lot of firsts potentially looming. Everything conspiring against Frio here. They're no good on the road. Injuries to Lobb and Darcy, absolutely crucial. And I think the Swans will still be a bit dirty about their earlier meeting with the Dockers too, which they lost by just two points over in Perth. I think they felt like that was one that probably got away from them. And who knows, may end up proving costly. Well, they're going to extract their horrible revenge this time, I think. I can see them winning it pretty comfortably. I'm going for the Swans by 38 points. So, two games still to be scheduled. Uh, we can still talk about them, though. GWS taking on Essendon, or rather Essendon taking on GWS, as the Bombers nominally are the home team. We know, however, that game not going to be played at Essendon's home. It is going to be played in Queensland. Uh, still don't have a start time, uh, and because of that, and the venue stuff, we still don't have odds head-to-head. However, you want them from Palmerbet, check the app closer to game time or the website at www.palmerbet.com. Always remember to gamble responsibly, of course, and we are very thankful for Palmerbet's support. Stats Insider say that the last three meetings between these two teams have been decided by just two, four and six points, which are the kind of numbers which might trigger some Essendon fans as the Bombers have lost four of their five games, which have been decided by less than two goals this season, and which could end up being the difference between them playing in the finals or not later this year. A quick one on Jake Stringer. He's one of 17 active players in the league averaging at least 1.7 goals per game in his career. But of those 17 players, he's the only player averaging at least 1.5 clearances per match as well. In fact, he's produced 52 clearances this season. The next best for anyone who's kicked at least 25 goals is Keziah Pickett, who has 21. So he's been good for the Don Stringer, kicking goals, winning clearances, and a real talisman getting them over the line a couple of times with big 
last quarters, including last week against North Melbourne. He's a big part of this game. Uh, the Bombers looking at bringing anyone in, finding similarly GWS, who are in a fair bit of trouble now. Bombers don't have a lot to bring in, maybe Nick Bryan, but I think they'll go with the same lineup that eventually found their best selves to defeat North Melbourne. Wasn't the greatest performance of all time, but four points is what matters this time of the year. The Giants, again, this rugby game wreaks havoc. They cannot consider Toby Green, Matt DeBoer, Kieran Briggs and Jake Stein, who were all at the rugby. I can't believe how many people go to the rugby. I live, honestly, I live 300 metres from that game and you would have had to drag me dead by the bollocks to go and watch it. But anyhow, there you go. As for the Weagles, uh, pardon me, as for the Giants, they can at least welcome back Lockie Whitfield. But Josh Kelly's in a big amount of doubt. He turned his ankle painfully against in the loss against Sydney and they'll be having a close watch on him. They think he might get up. What do they do in the ruck? Because with Briggs unavailable, Mumford's got back issues. Bruce, of course, hasn't played at all. And last week, Matt Flynn's shoulder came out twice. I'm not quite sure. that They might try and patch Matt Flynn up or put a limited Mumford into the ruck. But either way, they will be struggling. And I think that gives the ultimate edge to the Bombers. Now, a fully fit GWS with Green and Briggs available... I would have tipped them, but I can't because of the impact of the COVID-19 sanctions and the quarantine and the injury to the GWS Ruckman. It's a bridge too far for mine. Essendon need to play better than they did against North, but there is a better Essendon. And I just believe that with a relatively, not uh, they've got their injury concerns as well, but a relatively strong team across the ground, in other words, Ruckman, and a forward line that's functioning. Stringer there, green not for the Giants. I go for the Bombers, and I do so by 21 points. Yeah, look, I think for Essendon last week, it was mostly about effort. They uh, they really laboured through that first half in particular, and were in some ways lucky to be as close as they were. When they found the effort, they really did start to dominate uh, territory, and finally on the scoreboard. So uh, will that be the case this week? I think it's less likely given that they now have a spot in the eight. They've worked pretty hard to win and uh, it's theirs to lose now. And they've got uh, winnable games, uh, certainly more than not in the last five uh, on the way to the final. So this is one that has to be ticked off as a win is so they can survive at least one loss over the remaining month. Uh, boy, there have been some narrow scrapes, haven't they? Two points, four points, lost both of them. The one before that, six points. Essendon won. That was uh, oh, more than two years ago. Now the night, Kale Hooker took a mark and kicked the winning goal uh, from the goal square at Marvel Stadium. Um, Toby Green, I think uh, if you're talking about the impact of players going out or coming into a side, he's as, as significant as any player in the league for any club, I think. They are just so much a lesser side without him as part of the equation. And I think that was demonstrated beautifully last week. They played some really good footy to get to a six-goal lead and then couldn't handle it, couldn't uh, hang on and ended up being about a 10-goal turnaround against the Swans. Would that have happened if 
Toby Green was on the ground, I, I tend to have my doubts. So I think it's a pretty significant difference this time too. Uh, Bombers got more to play for. Uh, I don't think they'll have it their own way. I think this will be really tight actually, but I can see the Bombers emerging on top. I'm going for them to win it by eight points, which leaves one game left in round 19. Well, for the second time this season, a rematch of last year's grand final. This one at the MCG, sadly an empty MCG because this would have been a real showpiece match of the season were crowds allowed. It is between Geelong and Richmond. Uh, We know it's Sunday. We don't have a start time yet. We do have odds from Palmerbet, however, on the head-to-heads. You can get Geelong playing $1.37. Richmond, a pretty generous $3.12. That is very generous considering the form they displayed last week against Brisbane. Stats Insider say for the first time this year, Geelong has taken possession of the game's best points-per-game defence and has averaged giving up just 44 points per contest over the last three weeks. As for Richmond, that surprise win over Brisbane, even though it cost them, Dustin Martin elevated their September chances to 43.3%, according to the Stats Insider futures model. Well, it's almost like the gains of that um, win over Brisbane finally were wiped out by the shocking Uh, kidney injury to Dustin Martin, who we wish all the best, but he's gone for the rest of the season. And boy, that makes the task of winning a flag, not making the finals, but winning a flag nigh on impossible, you'd think. What are Richmond going to do to replace him? Well, as best as they can anyway, being Dusty Martin. Shane Edwards is right to come back into the team, and that's a good inclusion. They lose Camden McIntosh as well and don't underplay the importance of his spot in the team. He's a true winger who's had a fantastic season under adversity. Richmond have had their battles this year, but he's sort of form as, well, he's, it's held if not improved even. Patrick Nash is a winger. He could come into the team. Jack Ross, he came on as sub last week. I don't know, uh, not quite hit the heights that would be expected of him this season and he might not be able to force his way into the starting 22. As for their opponents, the Cats, they welcome back two important players, Lockie Henderson and Gary Rowan. They have to work out a couple of uh, guys to miss out. You know what? Reece Stanley's in trouble because the Sava Radicalia and Blitzavs at least have other strings to their bow. And I don't know whether the coach likes playing all three of them. It'll be an interesting watch. Look, they were great last week, Geelong. They absolutely, without that much-vaunted troika, borrowing a word from the lexicon of my co-host, of Rowan Hawkins and Cameron up forward, they only had one of them, and they still pulverised Fremantle over in the West, That was so impressive. They welcomed back Gary Rowan. For the Tigers, it was a real good turnaround against Brisbane after three weeks of terrible form. But that loss, Dustin Martin, we said at the time, win the battle, lose the war. And unfortunately, that seems to be the case. So I know that there has been a brouhaha over where the game is played. That doesn't bother me in the slightest. 
Actually, what does bother me is the spelling of brouhaha, because I've just realised I've said the word a lot over the years, but I've never written it. Is it one word? I wouldn't know how to spell it. No wonder I've never used it in in writing. In, yeah, brouhaha. Odd word, but not an odd result for me. The favourites win it easily. Geelong by 27. Uh, well, for the record, I think it is B-R-O-U-H-A-H-A, or one word. But oh, there uh, you go. I haven't looked that up, so feel free to take me to task on that uh, pedants for the English language. I'll give you a really interesting stat here, and it concerns the venue. Now, Geelong, a bit miffed about not being able to play this game at GMHBA. Well, perhaps they shouldn't be because uh, we've spoken for so long about the MCG being the Tigers' fortress. Well, they have lost five of their last six games at the ground. As for Geelong, they have won five of their last six games at the MCG, and that record goes back to, uh, funnily enough, uh, post their preliminary final loss to Richmond in 2019. This is a ground that these days they are playing particularly well. We know they play a controlled brand of footy and Richmond don't like that. Richmond don't like it when the tempo is being slowed and they can't play that frenetic force the ball forward style of game, which worked really well against Brisbane last week. And I think the other thing which gives the Cats real confidence here is the manner in which they disposed of Richmond in that earlier clash this season, round eight. 63 points that evening. Uh, Geelong absolutely smashed them, and they would have got a lot of confidence from that performance. Look, as you know, I've been clinging to Richmond all year, uh, but, boy, the loss of Dusty is just about the final straw. I mean, he is their talisman. Gee, he started to come good in a big way just before he got injured. Can they win it without him? Well, I doubt it. Look, as much respect as I have for that entire team and the contribution they all make, he is the cream on the cake. And I suspect he's the difference between them being able to still win a flag against the odds and not. And a bit tragic that we're not really going to see whether they can absolutely pull off a bit of a miracle. I don't think it's going to happen now, folks. But <clears throat> not to say they won't be back in subsequent years. On that basis, I think I've got to go for the Cats. They have been pretty solid all year, really. I think they make it two from two against the Tigers. I don't think it'll necessarily be by a lot. Certainly won't be 10 goals plus this time. But I'm going for Geelong to win by 12 points. That is our previews of round 19. One segment left in this program. It's our favourite. Fantastic footy flashbacks. Okay, well, finally, I'm continuing my theme of finding a great game between two of the sides playing this week. Obviously, the matches around this week, Melbourne up against the Western Bulldogs. Now, I didn't have to think too long for a great game in the past between these two. A famous day in footy, not just for their meeting, but for a couple of other games played simultaneously. The famous final home and away round of 1987. Melbourne, of course, by this stage, hadn't even played in finals for 23 years. 
had to go out to the Western Oval to play Footscray, who themselves were still in finals contention, had to win and not only win, but hope a couple of other results, one in particular, fell their way. It was a great game, tense the whole afternoon. And we've got uh, a few selected highlights here from what was a gripping final term. Let's have a listen. Melbourne doing well. Beautiful kick by Newport to full forward. Chance for Jackson. Snapshot for goal. It's good. this afternoon in football. Of course, Melbourne supporters had to keep their eyes firmly on two other games, North Melbourne versus Carlton. And they also were watching Geelong Hawthorne. Look, that to the whole backdrop, Rowan, of Robbie Flower, this storied career of a Melbourne champion who had never played in a final. And I don't think that there is anybody who was impartial that great, that time of the year, well, that year, 1987, that weren't wishing that Robbie Flower would get the chance to play finals football. An amazing afternoon. Yeah, well, a fantastic win for the Demons, uh, of course. The siren going to herald Hawthorne's win down at Geelong, thus securing Melbourne's finals place, not until after the completion of this game. In fact, my favourite bit of that whole package 
is the bit where nothing actually happens. The ball dribbles out of bounds over the boundary line on the wing, and all of a sudden this huge cheer to the point where the commentators say, what's happened? Is the siren gone? No, that was the sound of Hawthorne hitting the front down at Geelong. Of course, Jason Dunstall kicking two goals after the 30-minute mark to deprive the Cats of a finals berth and uh, keep Hawthorne themselves in contention for top spot, which was denied them out at Waverley by Stephen Kernahan kicking a goal for Carlton against North Melbourne after the siren. And uh, given the way that grand final played out in uh, searing heat, Carlton defeating Hawthorne, a lot of Blues fans always maintain that it was Kernahan's post-siren kick against North Melbourne, which actually won them the premiership. But uh, the start of a huge finals campaign for the Demons, they blew uh, North Melbourne off the park in the elimination final. They blew the Swans away in the semi. And then, of course, that famous or infamous preliminary final defeat, again, after the siren against Hawthorne with Gary Bacanara depriving the Demons of a grand final berth. Uh, but that last round of footy in 1987, just an amazing convergence of events, the likes of which uh, surely the way games are staggered now, we will never see again. Great memories, though, for Demon fans. What have you got for us this week, Farney? Well, given that we've recently just completed the State of Origin series in Rugby League, Queensland getting something back in Game 3, and a lot of talk this year about whether or not Tasmania should have a team in the AFL. I went back and looked at some state of origin games and I came up with this one in 1991 between Tasmania and Victoria. Look, I'm not going to say anything about the game, the final result, because I reckon a lot of our listeners, our loyal listeners, might not be able to place the game or not quite sure what happened. So let's go down to Hobart and pick it up with just... Five minutes to play. Victoria taking on the Apple Islanders. Still right half forward flank for Victoria. The Victorians trailing by five points in a thriller here in the State of Origin clash. Under five minutes left in the match. Gale Atkins. And the oh, I think it was oh, holding no. the ball. They haven't played that hardly all day, that one. No, that was a tough decision. Well, he was lying on it, I suppose you could say that. Now, is that a mark? Ken Hickley again, Pete. What a last quarter. Oh, now he's kicked three goals. He's the only forward for Victoria that has looked like doing any good. She's not scared to get in front. He leads well for the ball. The rest of the Victorian forward line has been very static, including Russell Morris. Mill Hannah uh, hasn't done much playing on the forward line, but this bloke has uh, really turned the game around. It certainly has from 41 metres, 41 or 42 metres, and that is a goal. Ken Hinkley brings up goal number four after playing half the game at full back. So that's not a bad effort. Victoria back in front, three and a half minutes to go. Can they hang on? What a thriller. There's four goals all coming in this second half to Ken Hinkley. So one point the difference. But the ball, most importantly, in Victoria's forward pocket area. Summerville from the centre of the pack, racing after it. Tapped on by McCarthy and over the line. Tasmania trailed by one point. They've led all day and have been far the better side for three quarters. But this last quarter, great quarter by Victoria. Here they go, going through Grant, tapping it on to Barwick. Barwick versus Elvin. Still on that half-forward line for the Vicks. Hinkley, beautifully to Hannah. Hannah from 40 metres, kicks a goal, a beautiful-looking kick. 
and he splits the set of Victoria by seven points. So another bounce. Bucks go at it again, same two, knocked down by Gale this time. Might give a free kick to break this up. Atkins it was, Scholl. Scholl's kick is short, Morris will look for somebody going past, there was nobody there. Fletcher gets ridden into the ground by Morris, Aristovich breaks away, Cantasmania builds something of this. Steve McPherson, oh mammoth, 55 metre punt, down towards Stevens who fists the ball back, but it's still Tasmania, through Atkins. Atkins up towards right forward pocket. Clue, will he flip the ball back or has he taken it out of bounds? I thought it was out. The boundary umpire thought likewise. Not a, oh, sorry, not enough urgency then by Klug. Was there Bernie? Well, the kick wasn't spot on, but Johnny Klug, he hasn't got a lot of pace at the best of times. Noble coming on for the first time today as we take the boundary throw in. Pritchard, can the skipper do something? Well, he's got the behind that they need. Oh, could we have a tie? So one goal of the difference with one minute 15 left. Well, I don't want to sound anti-Victorian, but I would love to see Tassie get that goal. I think it would be fantastic because a draw would be a good result. Been a top game. I've enjoyed it. Hope you have it at home. Alexander, who's been very dangerous close to goals. Oh, nearly a mark. It was nearly a mark. Flipped out by Atkins. And the ball kicked up by Barwick. Out to centre wing. Knights will take this to the line. You can bet on that now. He lets it go over. The throw in to take place at half forward for Tasmania. Scoreboard 110 to 104. Tasmania need a goal to tie the scores. Yeah, Tasmania player down in a lot of trouble trouble on the other side of the ground too, Pete. Scholl kicks it to the wide open spaces. Number five is Anthony Cole from North Hobart, but he's lost it to Hinckley. Hinckley's turned this game around. He sprints in the goal. He brings it to Morris, and that could be shut the gate. And at a 50-metre penalty, maybe no. Yeah, that's it now. The Tassie, it's been a brave performance by the Tasmanians, but uh, that's it. Well, Time running out. The kick from Morris will be from 15 metres, almost directly in front. Brendan Gale injured behind the plate. He's getting up and limping off. That doesn't look good news for Tigers fans. Back in Melbourne, they lead by a goal, Victoria, and this should be the second goal. They will lead by a lot of fans streaming out of the ground. The kick by Morris, a goal. Well, the siren's obviously gone because everyone's charged onto the ground. We didn't hear it. No, I didn't hear it at all. And but it looks like a two-goal victory to the Vicks. Well, good finish to the Tasmanian crowd. Very appreciative of Victorians, uh, Victoria's efforts there <laughs> with those last couple of goals. Absolute stony silence <laughs> as the Vicks sealed the deal. Uh, wonderful performance from Ken Hinkley after being moved from defence to attack. Gee, he was a good player. And uh, I'll tell you what, Foddy, the thing that struck me the most was the uh, appearance of Essendon Ruckman Peter Somerville. I uh, had no memory at all of him having played for Victoria, so uh, obviously he was in a pretty decent patch of form. What do you remember most about it? Well, of course, this was the period where there were secondary Victorian teams. Victoria also played South Australia famously in 1991, but it was a very strong Victorian team that they took down to Tassie. This was the year after a shock loss to the Tasmanians. Victoria went down by five goals to Tassie. And, gee, you just hope that maybe a, a resurgent Tasmanian football competition would be created around or, or would, somehow we could get back to a strong Tasmania. And I think the best way to do that is to bite the bullet 
and let them play in the AFL. I think if you're just going to sit back and wait for Tasmanian football to gain momentum and to be strong again without an AFL presence, it's going to be ever-diminishing circles. And the sport down there, so long a part of the Tasmanian sporting scene, could almost be marginalised. So come on, Tassie for the AFL. Maybe those memories jolted will cause some people to join the fight for a Tasmanian team. Oh, interesting flashback, that one. Some uh, very good names turning out for Tasmania and that distinctive jumper of, uh, what is it, green, gold and primrose, I think, is the official colour description. But uh, a nice footy jumper. Always like footy jumpers with green in them. We don't see enough of them. All right, that wraps it up for this week. Thanks for your company. Of course, this podcast always proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. And, of course, those games which we still don't have the head-to-head odds, you can find them on the Palmerbet app or at palmerbet.com. A couple of other wonderful sponsors, Finey. I'm going to make it quick because uh, something we don't mention about Andrew's Hamburgers at 144 Bridport Street is their efficient service and quick turnaround time. You might be faced with a bit of a, a queue sometimes to get in there. Of course, in COVID times, that will have to be regard with due respect to the 1.5 metre distancing rules. But once... Uh, You go down there, it's quick work indeed. The grill goes at a million miles an hour, but the quality doesn't in any way become compromised. 144 Bridport Street, Andrews Hamburgers. Fast food made with eye for detail of a home cook. And homes are what I'm thinking about when I talk about West Point property. Nick Spartels and the team will give you the home that will have you beaming with pride. Renovated or built new, it's West Point Properties that built for you. And, of course, our other wonderful sponsor, Stats Insider, sports and data-driven industry leaders providing model projections and analysis of more than 15 sports across the world. Also, home to some of Australia's finest independent sports writing and analysis, everything on their site, free to use. Check them out statsinsider.com.au and give them a follow on Twitter at Stats Insider. Okay, thanks to your company. If you want to support us, you can head to the ACAST supporter page wherever you're listening to this podcast or find one of the many links on the footyology.com.au website and for $7 Australian a month through Patreon, become an official Footyology patron. We'll speak to you again when we do our Footyology Final Siren live stream following Friday night's Port Adelaide versus Collingwood game earlier than usual. Uh, I think at this stage we'll be coming to you just a tick after 10pm, so look out for that. And in podcast form, we'll be back on Sunday evening to review what should be a fascinating round 19. Thanks for your company. We'll catch you soon.